Tom's coming up here. I know Tom's kind of shy. <laughs> so I want to come on up, Tom. Uh, for those who don't know, the Peaslands, Tom and Sandy, um, they were with us many, many years ago. And um, for you that don't know the Peaslands, Tom is a wonderful brother. I'm reminded by a, a hymn. And let me just read this verse. There's a call comes ringing over the restless wave. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue and there are souls to save. And um, I think that was what I think about. When I see this, I see Tom. I remember when Tom, he was uh, in management at General Motors. Um, good job. And, uh, but he had this heart for Mexico. He wanted to return to Mexico. His, his mom and dad were missionaries in Mexico, and he wanted to return. And his heart was for the souls of Mexico. And um, yeah, I was a young believer. I, you know, I was, well, not a young believer in those days. Seems like it now. But um, <laughs> in those days, I was amazed at how Tom's sight was on winning souls. It wasn't achieving a, a high corporate position and making lots of money. And uh, that's something I appreciated about Tom. And, and again, he's really shy. He's not going to say anything. That's why I wanted to say it to you all, so you know where he's come from and where he's been. And Tom has been, uh, and his family been involved with uh, missionary work in, in um, Mexico, in church planting. They've been involved with uh, raising up assemblies there in, in Mexico. And it's exciting to see how the Lord is working there in Mexico because it's, it's, it's troubled times there in Mexico, just like it is here in the U.S. And of course, you hear about all the immigration issues and hear a lot about Mexico here, but they're really in the heart of what goes on in Mexico, where they come from, and maybe Tom will share a little bit, but um, they're involved with the work there, they've been faithful, and one thing I think of Tom, faithful, he's faithful. If I gave one word for Tom, he's faithful. Sandy and, and Tom were faithful all these years, and their focus is always on the Lord, and um, you know, pleasing the Lord and doing what the Lord wants him to do. And they've had a great impact on many lives in Mexico, from all walks of life. I mean, all walks of life. I've, I've heard so many stories from Tom, and uh, it's amazing how God works in their lives and uses them. So it's good to have you here, Tom, to share with us. And just tell us about what's going on there, too, before you get started today. You don't have to spend a lot of time. So don't be too shy. There's a lot of folks that don't know you. Okay. Good. Thanks. You're not supposed to contradict an elder, are you? <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you the other side of that story sometime. The Lord is the one who is faithful. <clears throat> and um, maybe on Wednesday night we can share some of those stories. I've been looking at that thing, Howard, and I, I just want to ask you, if you see that thing move and start coming my direction, you holler, because I'm not sure why I've got this thing on my belt, but I'm going out that door real quick. So you're my, my guide on that one, so you yell good and loud. If you can turn to John, the Gospel of John... <clears throat> Chapter 19, 
I'd like to read some of these verses just to <clears throat> sort of give you a, a setting of what I've been thinking about for this morning. I'd like to uh, just think together about living in the shadow of the cross. Verse 20 of John chapter 19. Then many of the Jews read this title they had put on, on the cross over the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I'm the King of the Jews. Pilate answers, answered, What I've written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it, who it sh whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Verse 28, and after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Mark chapter 15, just one verse. Keep your finger here in John. Mark chapter 15 and verse 39. This was just after the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was just after Jesus had cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. It says, verse 39, So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. The shadow of the cross. We could read the, the story as told in the other Gospels, and one of the things we, we find in these different scriptures is that the cross of Jesus was surrounded by different groups of people, different individuals. As we read here in Matthew, when he had been crucified, there, were, there was a procession of people walking by on their way either to or from Jerusalem. Crucifixion was not a an unusual thing in those days. The Romans used it quite often. And those roads were often 
from what we hear from the historians, um, just lines of, of crosses down the road. We, we see that sometimes down in Mexico. You periodically probably see it up here. Uh, Roman Catholics, if there's a, a, a traffic accident out on the highway and somebody dies, they'll put a cross there. And often they'll even put shrines with different idols. You've heard about the now famous or infamous uh, saint of the dead uh, that the drug cartels worship and use uh, to protect them. And you see these, these things all, all down the roads. Well, outside of Jerusalem, because of the Roman Empire that was in power in that day and using crucifixion to, to crucify enemies of the state or criminals as, as they, they did in this case. So when people walked those highways and saw bodies, uh, maybe already dead or, or those that were dying, it probably wasn't an unusual sight as it describes here when it says that many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And so there were a lot of people that went by. The world today is, is full of people that have heard of the cross of Jesus. You can go to buildings that call themselves, they call them churches, and up front there's a, a cross. Maybe an empty cross. Uh, often Christian churches will put an empty cross at the front of their building. But if it's a Roman Catholic or other religious places, they'll often put a crucifix and, and actually have uh, the body of the Lord Jesus depicted there on the cross. Crosses have turned into jewelry. Uh, a lot of people have around their necks a, a cross of silver or gold. And so the, the cross of the Lord Jesus even today, 2,000 years after he died, has become really the, the dividing of humanity. And on the one hand, you have those that accept it and accept what it truly means. And, and hopefully all of you, along with me this morning, have come to that place in, in your life. But there's a, another, probably even a much greater uh, number of people today that have seen the cross of Jesus, maybe have even been told the meaning of the cross of Jesus and have turned away. And this day of the day of Jesus' death, there were those around the cross that did that same thing, saw the cross of Jesus and in some way, like the centurion, that's why I took you to that verse there in Mark, like the centurion who was among those who had actually executed uh, people before and was in charge of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. He, he realized that this was different and he acknowledged uh, in some way, we don't know all he understood at that point, acknowledged that truly this was the Son of God. He realized that Jesus died differently than all these other criminals that had been crucified. There were others around the cross that mocked Jesus. Even those who were crucified next to him were mocking him and saying, if you really are who you say you are, well, do something. Save yourself. Get down from the cross. But then there were those who were tender uh, to the Lord Jesus, his mother, his disciples, these other women that we've read about here. 
and they knew who Jesus was. They had placed their trust, their hope in him. Maybe they were confused on this day. Maybe they were disappointed that he really didn't do what they expected him to do, especially those who had, with the Jews, or because they were part of the Jews, believed that he was the Messiah, and he was this coming king, and he was going to set all things right and set up his throne. And when he didn't do that, they were disappointed. So we find lots of different people around the cross. We find probably most of them looking up. Now, he probably wasn't that much higher physically than those who stood around the cross. But yet, they had to look up. And I would like to think this morning about us, about you and and I. As we, through faith, take a look at the cross of the Lord Jesus. Take a look at the Lord Jesus and the meaning as we've been remembering this morning in the Lord's Supper, the the true meaning of, of what was going on when he was there at the cross. And as we look up at the Lord Jesus and look beyond the Lord Jesus, we can see the Father. And as we read the scriptures, we know at least two major things about the Father. Number one, he was pouring out his wrath against sin on his son. Your sin and my sin. The wrath that we deserve, even this morning, from God, was being poured out on his son that day. Now, there was three hours of darkness when there was no shadow Uh, We couldn't stand in the shadow of the cross during those dark hours. That's when your sin and mine was being dealt with by the Lord Jesus there on the cross. And that's when there was this transaction between the Father and the Son that the Lord Jesus shuddered at as he prayed before going to the cross. Uh, But it's it's shrouded in in, in mystery. And there are so many things that today we we understand in part as we read the word. But someday we'll understand so much better. But it's, it's in darkness. But as we look up at the cross, we know that the Father is pouring out his wrath against sin. The righteous and holy God who was offended by our sin was punishing his son in our place. But as we look up at the the father's face, as he looks down, we were reminded this morning of of the propitiation, the the place of satisfaction, the, the mercy seat that used to be there in the temple, in the tabernacle, the place where God, the holy God, would look down and see the sin of men and yet see the blood. And and when he looked down on his son, he was satisfied fully with the death and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for your sin and mine. So as we look up and look beyond the Lord Jesus at the Father's face, what do we see? We see the Father smiling. And we can say that now we are accepted in the Beloved by the Father. The Father who rightfully should have rejected us. 
should have cast us into everlasting darkness and hell. But yet he was satisfied with the death of his son there on the cross. Well, let's focus our attention on the one who is on the cross. You remember that when John the Baptist was beginning to preach and baptize there in in the Jordan, and when he raised up his eyes and saw the Lord Jesus coming, you'll have to excuse me when I make reference to some of my grandkids. We kind of enjoy them. We have only one near us. The rest live in different places. But Sarah and Amos's uh, little girl, Karen, is, lives near us there. And so we get to see her a lot. And she's uh, one and a half years old and she's beginning to talk. She talks a lot. We don't understand her yet. Um, but she's starting to use some words and starting to put words together. And one of her favorite words is licky. Especially at night if she's in the car and we're driving somewhere and she sees lights. Looky, lights. And she gets excited by some of the smallest things. But she's often saying to her mother, looky, mommy, looky. Well, I picture John the Baptist. When he raised his eyes and saw the Lord Jesus coming. And when he used words that we have in our Bible. Well, in a child's language, he was saying, Look, looky. He was excited because here was the one that he was trying to tell Israel about. And they couldn't understand. And there in John chapter 1, you don't need to turn to a lot of these verses that I'm going to refer to because they're familiar to you. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. He says, behold, pay attention, look. This is the one that replaces all other lambs. And they knew all about lambs. They knew about bringing these innocent little animals, set aside, made sure they're, they're without defect, that they're pure, and then take them and watch them shed their blood there at the temple. They knew what that was all about. And so here, here John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Well, why did God need a lamb? Well, he didn't in the sense of the Jews who had to take a lamb because they had sinned, they had offended God, and they had to take that lamb to die in their place. So in that sense, it definitely wasn't the lamb of God, but it was the, it was the lamb that God had provided to take the place of all these little animals which were just pictures, were, were just shadows of, of the true lamb of God, and he provided the lamb that would offer his life for you and me. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 3, at the end of the chapter there, there's, there's an amazing verse. And it's a verse that, that divides all of humanity. It says in John 3, 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Well, as we raise our eyes in faith to the Lamb of God on the cross, as, as we raise our eyes in faith and look at the Father behind the cross, pouring out his wrath on our sin on his beloved 
Son. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he who believes has life, everlasting life. And he who doesn't, that's why the, the cross of Jesus really divides all of humanity among those who believe and those who don't. Those who have life and those who don't. The Apostle Peter, when he was preaching there to primarily Jews, but it was a mixed audience there in Acts. Uh, there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, it says, Peter said some words that must have just driven home in the heart of those who were listening. Because it wasn't that long after the death of the Lord Jesus. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And again, those words divided Jerusalem. I mean, physically, literally, a war broke out, but it also divided it among those who trusted the Lord Jesus and were saved through him. So we realize that the cross of the Lord Jesus was no ordinary cross. There were probably hundreds or thousands of crosses outside of Jerusalem that the Romans had used to execute people. But this cross was unique. Well, his cross was a cross among crosses because he is the one who made that cross so special. This is no ordinary man hanging on this cross. And that's really what we want to examine this morning. Uh, briefly, obviously, we could, we could examine this all day and, and not reach all the things that we could learn in the scriptures about the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 say, but we speak the wisdom of God in, in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's who was on that cross. The Lord of glory. Imagine that. The Lord of glory who had been with the Father for eternity past in the glories of heaven, he was the one who was crucified on that cross. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, let's consider the Lord of glory this morning, crucified for you and for me. And I'd like to consider five things. First of all, the message of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And again, we find this great division between people. And the division is created by, what about that cross? What about the one hanging on that cross? Well, probably to the majority, it's foolishness. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's for religious people. Or that's for 
and they'll set it aside for whatever reason and say, eh, that's not for me. The message of the cross. 1 Peter 3.18, another verse very familiar, full of amazing truth. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. That doesn't mean he just suffered and then went on with life. That means he died. He died once for sin. Not like these thousands and maybe millions of animals that had given their lives and shed their blood and had to be repeated and done over and over and over again. He did it once, as Hebrews lays out clearly. He did it once for all. Never needed again. But it's, it's also what we call a vicarious death. And what does that mean? Unfortunately, that's become a religious word. But basically what it means is he gave his life for mine. He died so that God is now accepting me who deserves to die for my sin. And not only for mine, but for yours as well. The just for the unjust. He who did not sin, had no sin, died for those of us who are full of sin and unjust and deserve death. That he might bring us to God. Remember the story that Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man and that great gulf between the two after death between life and death, between eternal death and eternal life. That gulf that could not be spanned. Nobody can go from here to there. And it says that he might bring us to God. He paid the price that we owed. And now he has purchased us for his own. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, reconciled, taken one and the other and brought us together. The holy God and the wicked sinner have been reconciled that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And we also find in the scriptures that he said ahead of time, nobody takes my life away. It's not that they poked nails through his hands and his feet and, and whipped him and killed him on the cross just like any other criminal. No, he willingly gave his life. But he also took it again. Nobody has the authority, nobody has the power to do that, to say, I can lay down my life and then when I want to, I can take it back again. I can come back to life, but yet... That's what he did. That's what he said and that's what he did. He was victorious over sin and over death. The message of the cross. Foolishness to so many, but so precious to those of us who've believed. And second, the value of the cross. First of all, the value of the cross to God. But secondly, the value of the cross to you and me. Hebrews 9.12 says, Not with bloods of, go of, of goats and calves, but with his own blood, 
He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That's the value of his death. We were thinking this morning, the value, the, the worth of the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. Shed, says he, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In the next chapter in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, by that will, we have been sanctified. Amazing. We who are so full of sin and tend to sin, it says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Accepted in the beloved. Accepted by God. We who deserve his wrath. The value of the cross, it is something that we can't count. That's the value of the cross to God. He is fully satisfied with the death of his son in our place, in your place, and in mine. What about the value of the cross to you and me? Well, Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, there's no merit in that. Uh, Howard made me feel real bad a minute ago. There's really no, no merit. There is, we don't deserve anything from God. There is nothing that we have given up in this life that means anything, that has any value before God. And Paul said, God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the value of the cross to me? If he was willing to do that for me, then what? What am I willing to do for him? Paul said, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Third, and it's hard for us to really understand this one, the curse of the cross. And maybe it helps us understand it a little bit when we think about in the Old Testament the blessings of God and the cursings of God. In Spanish, maybe it's a little bit easier to understand it. You want me to explain it to you in Spanish? No, I won't. Um, the opposite of bless in Spanish is to speak bad about somebody. I mean, really bad. To bless means to speak well. You, you, you bless somebody, you speak good things. I, I wish you have to have this. I wish you to have a uh, good life, uh, many days in your life. I mean, that we can bless people that way. Well, when God blesses us, he speaks things that he plans to do for us, good things. But the opposite of that is to speak bad 
And when you see in the Old Testament blessings and cursings, you know, do this and I will bless you. Don't do it and I will curse you or do that and I will curse you. Well, to be under the, the blessing of God was something Israel wanted. And if they would do what he wanted, then he would bless them. And, and to be under the cursings of God, well, if they didn't do those things, then, then all those bad things that God said about them would happen. That's what it means when we talk about the curse of the cross. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, For as many are, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. The, the curse. What is that? Well, the wages of sin is, is death. The, the penalty for sin is, is death. Not just die and, and go get buried in a hole in the ground, but eternal death, separation from God forever. That's the curse. God forbid, excuse me, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And that's a problem. And that's where Paul takes the law of the Old Testament, which is easy to say, okay, I'll keep this one, this one, and this one. Uh, but the rest, well, that, that's for the Jews. We don't have to worry about those. Okay? Well, Paul takes all of that and he says, you, you've got to do it all, all the time, your whole life, from the day you're born, born to the day you die. Well, we can't do that. We haven't done that, not even for a day, not even for a moment in the day. And even more so when Jesus says, it's not so much what you do, it's what you think. And it's the attitude of your heart. And Paul says, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That, that's us. We don't have a chance. But then he continue, continues just a few verses after that one in, in verse 13. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, that's where it's difficult for us to understand. It's difficult to us for us to enter into that. It says... Well, Christ has, has bought us. He's paid the price and redeemed us from the curse of the law. But then it says, having become a curse for us. Imagine the, the beloved Son of God who always pleased the Father. Now, He is becoming the curse for us. That means the Father is cursing His beloved Son because of me and because of you and because of what we've done and because He went to the cross. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. There's another one there in Colossians chapter 2. It's, it's said in a different way, maybe to bring it more to us who are not Jews and maybe can't enter into understanding this like, like Israel could uh, because of, of the Old Testament that they had had taught to them. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, 
which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed to the cross. Well, we can understand that, especially even in today's world of justice, which it's hard to call it that anymore, but that's what we call it, where there's law. There is lots of laws out there. And if we break one of those laws, then we have a, a written document out there that condemns us to whatever the penalty for breaking that law is. Don't pay your taxes? Well, this is what'll happen. Um, run over somebody on the road, on the highway, and this is what'll happen. Uh, lots of laws. Well, this is God's law. And, and it talks about the handwriting of requirements that was against us. The soul that sins shall die. That's what God says. Um, the penalty for sin is, is death. Separation from God forever. In this life, no fellowship with him. He's holy and, and we're not. Uh, beyond this life, eternal separation and darkness and hell. In the lake of fire. Well, talking about the cross of Jesus, talking about what happened when he went to the cross, it was not so much that placard that the Jews put up there, uh, the king of the Jews. It, it wasn't so much that. It was, it, it was God's charge against you and me that was actually the reason why Jesus went to the cross. And now it says, Paul says, because of that, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way. Paid in full. Uh, in Mexico, in, in, in Spanish, we call a bill that's been paid in full and, you know, stamped. You know, they put that big red stamp that says paid in full. That's called a remission. Remision. And, and what that means is that bill's been paid. Nobody can charge you for it again. Because here it is, stamped on there, paid in full. That's what this means. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So now God says, paid in full, because the Lord Jesus died on that cross for you and me. The curse of the cross. And then fourth, the shame of the cross. And, and this passage you can turn to. You probably have already memorized it. It was referred to and. The Lord's Supper. I don't know too many meetings of the Lord's Supper where Isaiah 53 isn't referred to in one way or another. A wonderful explanation of what was going on between the Father and the Son when Jesus was on the cross. Written hundreds of years before the event. Isaiah 53. And, and let's just look at a few verses there. Verse 3, 4, and 5. He is despised. And rejected by men. Despised. Well, we know he was spit on. They plucked his beard. They hit him. They put a crown of thorns. They whipped him. Despised. Put to shame. The shame of the cross. You know, he hung there naked. They stripped him of his clothes. We read the passage here where they were handing it out among the soldiers. He had been scourged and nailed to the cross, crucified, despised and rejected by men. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, just in case we have a tendency to blame the Jews, it includes you and I there. We. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Why would we do that? Why did we do that? Today, you know, there's no shame. People don't know what shame is today. They, they walk the streets naked. I mean, they don't know what it means to be ashamed of, of nakedness. They do things to people that are horrible. And it's accepted. They watch it on the movies and they laugh. It, it's, it's hard for us. We, we often have to travel in Mexico by bus. And they put videos on in the bus. And, and we just have to turn our heads. It's no wonder the world's a mess if that's what the kids are watching on the videos all the time. There's no shame today. But, you know, there was a day when people would, would hide their faces from, from stuff that just made them feel bad because they were ashamed of it. That's why Adam and Eve, after their sin, tried to cover their naked bodies. Before that, they didn't feel any shame. But after sin came in, they did. Well, it says, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. That means we didn't value him. We didn't consider him. We didn't behold him, as, as John said when he saw Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet... We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, another very familiar verse says, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he do it? What carried him through those dark hours as he was facing the cross, as he submitted to his father's will? Well, he saw you and me. He saw what was going to be accomplished by his death on the cross and his resurrection. And that we could be around his throne forever, worshiping him, despising the shame, has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And lastly, the glory of the cross. And another one that it's hard for us to enter. How could that horrible thing, that horrible scene be glorious? I mean, we think of glory, as the Jews probably did then, of the Messiah. Of, he ought to be on a throne. He ought to be, you know, covered and holding his scepter of righteousness and, and receiving everybody's worship and adoration. But, but he didn't. He went to the cross. Well, there's some verses here. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short. Of what? The glory of God. That's what sin caused. We... We could never enter into his glory. It says, we fall short in, in Spanish, and I apologize for referring to Spanish so much. There's a word 
destitute. We use that in English. If you find somebody that's destitute, that means they're so poor, they have nothing. They're on the street, can't eat, can't dress themselves, have nowhere to lay their head at night. They're just out there. And, and they have no ability to change their circumstances. That's a destitute person. Well, that's this word, fall short in Spanish. But, you know, they've made it a, a verb. You know what a verb is, right? Destitute is an adjective, describes that person out there. Well, destituted, if, if we want to say it in English. Let's read the verse again. For all have sinned and are destituted of the glory of God. That means there is no way we could ever see it, enter into it, and we have no ability whatsoever to change our circumstances. Fall short. John chapter 12 and verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be what? I would have said crucified. But he said glorified. Now Jesus was, he lived his life on God's clock, on God's timetable. And they would try to kill him. They would try to arrest him. And he would say, nope, it's not time. And then some of his disciples would say, Lord, is it now time? And he says, no, it's not time. But then there came a time when he said, okay, now it's time. And he said, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Galatians 6.14. And, and I'm reading this in the King James, the old King James. Because of some of the words that are used there. He says... But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We read that a while ago, but I read it in the New King James. But these words are amazing. God forbid that I should boast is how we read it a while ago. But in the Old King James, that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about, we ask the question, why, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he die? Why did he give his life? Well, he gave it so that we could be in glory. Well, what's that? Well, we think of, you know, the golden streets and the shine... Um, which we call the, some people call it the Shekinah glory, you know, that was there in the temple, in the tabernacle. Well, it's hard for us to imagine or describe the glory of God. But to take a wicked lost sinner and make him fit for heaven, because that's really what Christ did when he went to the cross. When he saved you and I, that's what he did. He took our sin, and we no longer have to pay for our sin. He did. And he took us, who were wicked by nature and by deed, and he made us fit for heaven. We can enter into the presence of God now in prayer through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can approach God now in peace, having been forgiven. But when we, when we leave this planet and go to heaven, we will be in glory. Well, what, that, what does that mean? Maybe not because of the streets of gold. 
Maybe not because of the beautiful place it is, but because of God in his glory. He, he lives in unapproachable light. You know, what does that mean? Well, there's something about God's glory that sinful man can't even think about or understand or even approach. And the Lord Jesus has made us fit. I keep hitting this thing. I hope it's not hurting anybody back there. Um, that makes us fit to be able to enter into his presence, enter into that glory. The glory of the cross. Remember Christian in Pilgrim's Progress? You've probably all read that story. Remember this guy who, because of his sin, he started feeling, as he read the scriptures, he started feeling this burden on his back. And this burden was, we could call it, a consciousness of sin. A, a consciousness of, of this burden that he had. And he kept crying out and he kept moaning and saying, who's going to deliver me of this? And, and he started seeking. And eventually he came through the instruction of others, evangelists and others who pointed him to the cross. He came to the foot of the cross and that burden fell from his shoulders. And he said these words. Let me read them to you. Thus far did I come laden with my sin. Nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. Hopefully you can understand King James language. What a place is this. Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall from off my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me crack? Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that was there put to shame for me. Well, I hope each one of us here can echo those words of Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. We've been relieved of our burden. He took it on himself there on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. And today as we live, we can never be the same because of what he did on the cross. Once we've been to the cross, we can't just go on living our life like we always did. None of us. We are living in the shadow of the cross. Even over 2,000 years after the historic event there on Calvary. And as we live, we think about him, think about what it cost him, and think about where others are who have not been to the cross of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the cross of Calvary, that place where he went and was willing to suffer and die in our place. Help us each day to be renewed in our love and appreciation for him. For we pray in Jesus' name.